where you are. Amen. Praise God for that truth, O oh Lord. We want to be where you are, Father. Thank you, Lord, for seating us in heavenly places with you. Thank you, Father God, for allowing us to be a part of your body, Father. But, Lord, we declare, Lord, that we, we want to feel your manifest presence, Lord. We, Father God, want to know that you are near, Father, today. Father, we pray that as we enter into your presence, Lord, that you will allow us to be free to worship you, free to praise you, free to lift you up, free to magnify you, free to extol you, for you are great and you are God and God alone. As the deer pants for water, so, so Father God, our, our soul pants after you, O oh Lord. Allow those words to be real in our hearts, Father God. Get us to a place where we literally will go through a desert to get where you are, Father. We will go through dry places, Father God, just to meet you. We'll climb up a mountain, Father God, if we know that you, Lord, that a word from you is there. Thank you, Father God, that you are near to those who call upon your name. So, Father, we ask you to invade our space, Father God. We ask you to take us off of the, the throne of our own hearts and to put your son Jesus there this morning. We ask you to break through anything, Father God, that does not look like you, Father God. We ask you to allow us, Father God, to experience you this morning through your word. And Father, we come praying, Lord, that you would have your way, not only in this service, but have your way throughout this nation. We pray, Father God, for those churches, our brothers and sisters in Baltimore. I pray, Father God, that you will allow your church, even right now, and urban centers all over the world, Father God, to, to show your love to their cities, oh God. Lord, peace only comes through Jesus. Help us to stand up as your church even now, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to continue our series and, and march through uh, the book of Corinth. So glad to see you all here this morning. Amen. So glad to see you all here after Derby Saturday. Some of us said, Pastor, I came limping this morning. I'm tired, but I'm here. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I am here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to start at verse 26 and uh, end at verse 40. And it's going to be part two of our, our little mini-series within Corinth uh, called Worshiping Christ Together. Worshiping Christ Together. All right. The precious, magnificent, wonderful word of God reads, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you 
can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the woman should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in a church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Amen. Amen. Recently, my wife and I was uh, staying at a hotel with our kids um, away, and uh, we woke up early in the morning and enjoyed our, our morning together and went down and got continental breakfast. And while we were there getting continental breakfast, this woman really drew to our children and just started to love on them, and she gave them crayons and gave them stuff to color. And then she kind of looked at me and my wife and asked their age. And when we told her that we had three children under the age of four, her response was uh, pretty similar to, oh, Lord, why in the world are you all doing that? Amen. <laughs> uh, she, she began to tell us that she had two children. One uh, was around the age of 16 and the other was eight. And she began to uh, say how happy she was that her children had a large space in between. And she pities anyone who has multiple children close together. And this woman was serious, amen. And she went on and on and on about all the problems we must have and how much confusion there had to be in our house because of the children that we had. You know, in her mind, peace, comfort was found in her not having kids. And just like her, most of us in some way, we value peace, we value order, we value quiet, and anything that seems to interrupt that peace or interrupt that quiet uh, 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 begins to kind of tap on our nerve and, and rub us the wrong way. God has created us in such a way that in each of us there's a desire for order, there's a desire for peace. And what oftentimes interrupts peace and order is, is uh, not, not just kids, but, but normally it's sin. It's some type of disagreement. It's, it's something that kind of fractures the, the atmosphere. Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is teaching us a, a valuable lesson, and it's about worship. And it's about worshiping God. And in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, Paul is uh, continuing to build on this theme of what does acceptable worship look like for Christians? What does it look like for us to gather together under the banner of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in such a way that it satisfies God, that it builds up the church, and that it is evangelistic towards those who do not know Jesus? 
Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 through 40, we are going to learn that God calls us to worship him while honoring his character and his word. Appropriate worship honors the character of God and is built on his word. We see in verse 33 kind of the theme of of this entire section of Scripture. And it was just funny as we were reading how I heard so many amens after this verse, and then it got really quiet for the next verse, right? Everybody was like, amen. And then the next verse started talking about women need to remain silent, and it got bone quiet, right? (laughs) But we're going to dig into this text, and we're going to see what what, what God is really talking about, amen? Amen. Wait a minute. <laughs> but in verse 33, we see uh, really, really the theme of this. We see the character of God on display. He says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. That's pointing to God's character. And then in verse, a little farther down, verse number 40, we see him saying this, but all things should be done decently and in order. That's Paul's main point in this section. The character of God. God is a God of order. We see this in the creation narrative as God in Genesis chapter 1 through 3 creates and then establishes order. We we see this theme of order in the fact that God, after he calls the children of Israel out of Egypt, he gives them a law to live and abide by. That is order. We see this in the uh, uh, giving of instructions of the tabernacle. God gave detailed, very detailed uh, on how the tabernacle was to be built because God is a God of order, but God is also a God of peace. And he's a God when disorder happens who comes to reconcile and to bring peace. We see this once again in the creation or uh, narrative. Where Adam and Eve sin and fall short, God comes in and he makes a sacrifice and he covers them to bring some measure of peace. We see this with Noah's Ark, that even though God destroyed the earth through water and, and, and most of the earth's inhabitants, that God did bring peace. And we ultimately see this in the coming of our Lord Jesus who came preaching a gospel of good news, who came declaring that the kingdom of God was near, God's reign and rule was near. And it is a reign and rule, Paul says in Romans chapter 14, that is marked by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Our God is a God of order, and he is a God of peace. And when we gather together to worship him, and if if we gather together and worship him, and if there is confusion... That means that he is not present. You know, this verse, verse 33, should really guide our our day-to-day lives. And that should be a model for us, even in our home. That God is not a God of confusion, that God is a God of peace. And some of us, we're sitting here, and there is just constant drama in our homes. And we step right into the drama, too. 
And maybe we step into the drama because we think or that we can bring peace. But God hasn't called us to be drama, drama chasers, amen? He's called us to be peacemakers. I got a phone call a couple weeks ago from someone that I love dearly, and they were having a conversation with another family member. This is not Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, they misheard, evidently, what the family member said about a conversation that me and this person had. So it's about 10.30 at night. I'm getting comfortable in my bed, and my phone just starts, beep, 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 And I open up my text message, and this family member is just telling me a piece of their mind. And I rolled over, I read the text of Amber, and I thought to myself, now the old Jamal would have just went in. But after saying a prayer, I knew that God is not a God of confusion. And that in this moment, it was my goal, and it should have been my desire to bring peace into the situation. So I spoke and I said, I think you misheard uh, our conversation. And, and then I told him after clearing some things up, and I said, but I do want you to know um, that uh, I do not allow drama to enter into my household. So next time, if there's a problem, here's how you should communicate with me. God bless and good night. <laughs> Satan wants to bring confusion. God wants to bring peace. And even amongst believers, as we gather together in worship, we need to know this, that God desires us to have a peaceful time of worship. Look at verse 26, chapter 14. The first thing we're going to look at how, is how God is a God of order and how we honor him by worshiping with order. With order. Verse 26 says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. Now, we want to remember the church of Corinth, they were probably not gathering like we are this morning. It probably wasn't a large number of people. They were probably meeting in, in homes. And as they were coming together to worship, Paul's noticed that everybody, every time they gather, they have something to say. And Paul wants them to, to have their worship guided by a specific goal. And what is the specific goal? Verse 26, let all things be done for building up. He's saying everything that we do when we gather together, it should be to build up. Now, to build up who? To build up the body of Christ, to encourage one another. And now he's going to show them how that looks. And he shows them how that looks in verse 27 through 29 by giving instructions specifically on how tongues is to be used when we gather together and worship. And we dealt with the gift of tongues last week, and you can uh, go to our website, which is on your bulletin if you weren't here or if you're interested in learning more about that and, uh, and, and listen to that sermon. But he deals with tongues, and he says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be one or two at most, three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So he deals with tongues and he's saying, hey, when you guys come together, we need to, to have this in order. Uh, two or three people can speak in tongues in one gathering. It shouldn't be a whole lot of people just running around and speaking for 30 minutes with, in tongues. He says, no, there needs to be an order. And then once they speak in tongues, they need to be speaking in tongues one at a time. And that's if an interpreter is there. 
If someone is not there to interpret, he says you need to speak to yourself and to God. Amen. And he doesn't mean to yourself out loud. (laughs) He means to yourself, right? Um, So he gives order because he's a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. Then we go on and we see in verse 29, he's going to do the same thing, but this time he's going to talk about prophecy. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. For a revelation is made to another sitting there. Let the first be silent, for you all, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. All right, so now he deals with prophecy, and we talked about last week how a prophecy is spirit-led utterances based on God's revealed truth, Okay? So a prophecy is is someone speaking probably impromptu, but it's based on uh, the revealed word of God, the the written word of God, what what is available and what the body has affirmed, okay? It's not so much a foretelling, future telling in the New Testament, as it is, as we talked about, forth telling. In fact, when we look at the narrative of, of 1 Corinthians there, and he talks about prophecy, that is what Paul is talking about. So he's saying when people come together and they are literally just encouraging each other in the Lord, speaking gospel truths to each other, he says we should do this in order. It shouldn't be chaotic. Everyone shouldn't just be speaking at the same time. If one feels that the Holy Spirit is allowing them to speak just like tongues, uh, there should be a, a limited few who are speaking in order that there would not be chaos. But notice what he says here. I love what he says in verse 29. And let the others weigh what is said. Then he says in verse 32, for the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What is he saying? He's saying when someone has a spirit-led, impromptu speech based on God's word, it is the church's job to listen to what is being said to discern whether or not it is truly a word from the Lord, and then to judge it. And this isn't just in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We also see this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to what John says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So hypothetically speaking, if someone was to uh, say to the church, church, I have had a revelation from the Lord. The Lord has told me to buy a $60 million jet. (laughs) Hypothetically speaking. It is the church's job then to observe, to listen, to discern based on the word of God and then to decide whether or not it is true. Amen. Many churches, many people are walking in a lot of confusion because they believe that they have heard a word from the Lord or because someone has spoken something into this person's life and they grab that word and they just go. Paul is establishing order and he's saying that is not the way that it ought to be. And he continues with this 
word of order in verse number 34, what we've all been waiting for. He says, the woman should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Now, immediately when we read this, we read these words, and a number of things traditionally happen. Uh, one, we say, well, Paul is uh, setting in order, and he's telling women in all churches uh, that they cannot uh, make, they cannot speak in, in, in church. But as we look at Scripture, we want to put Scripture against Scripture. And we know that this cannot be the conclusion that Paul is drawing simply because earlier in the book of Corinth, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see in verse 4 that Paul uh, is te- it says these words, verse 5, but every wife who prays or prophesies. And he's talking about praying or prophesying in the context of a church service, in the context of a communal gathering. Therefore, uh, the interpretation that a woman cannot say anything in a worship service um, can, can probably be, be X'd out. It's also important when we read scripture to look at the context, to see what comes before this verse and what comes after. And, and just giving you the, the, the short of it, what Paul is talking about here, is probably uh, interpreting prophecy. Okay? He's saying that if a woman, and probably if a woman's husband is giving a prophetic word, it is not wise for her to yell out an interpretation in the middle of service. Look at what it says, what he says. Verse 35, if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for shame for a woman to speak in church. So what is he doing? He's establishing order. And he's saying the appropriate way for a wife to go about this, rather than yelling out and questioning her husband, is for her to go home and to talk to him about it so that she can learn what the Lord has impressed upon his heart or what the Lord has spoken in that service. It's order. And God is, God is about order. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see this, verse 3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every single human being is in a relationship in which they are called by God, ordained by God, to submit so that there would not be chaos and disorder. Men must submit. If there's an interpretation and they're prophesying, they need to submit to to the body, submit to the elders to see uh, uh, if if what is said is is from the Lord. Christ submitted to to God the Father. Though they are co-equals, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Three distinct persons, but they're all one. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. Each is is fully God, but Christ submitted to the will of the Father. So so when we look at this, we don't want to see this as as, as wives being oppressed or women being oppressed. God is not about oppressing uh, anyone. God is about true freedom. True freedom is decided by him, though. (laughs) Not by culture and not by how we feel. Is decided by him. Okay? And that's important for us to know. It's important for us to look at this text and to remember the larger scope of the Bible. It's important for us to remember passages like Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, until the end of the chapter, what we call the excellent wife. 
right? We, we see this woman who is free. She is leading in many spheres of life. She is honored by her husband and by her children. She is an entrepreneur. She is spoken well of inside the city gates. God is not about oppression. He is about true liberty. And he has designed his church after the family. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. So in a home, a husband is called to be the spiritual leader of the home. He's called to be the physical provider of that home. He's called to be the protector of that home. That is his role. And that does not mean that he leaves with an iron fist. In fact, that means that if he is loving his wife like Christ loves the church, he is leading from weakness. He is leading with humility. He is leading as the chief servant. So the husband who hears this and who chest pups up and says, yeah, woman, when we get home, I'm going to need some, uh, some brunch. I want some scrambled eggs and some bacon. Right? No, that's not, that's not biblical leadership. Biblical leadership sets the example by first serving, by setting an atmosphere of serving, by being the chief servant, and by being the spiritual leader. Spiritual leader doesn't mean that you are, uh, necessarily know the most, most verses or you've been saved the longest, but it means that you are submitting your heart to the Lord and open to leading your family based upon the Word of God. And that's a process. It takes time. So wives, give your husband grace in that endeavor. But husbands, pursue Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the head of the man is Christ. Head of a man is Christ. So when we look at this, this is more than likely Paul speaking to the women of the church and encouraging them and actually telling them to make sure that they're honoring their husbands. Make sure they're honoring their husbands. And husbands, we honor our wives by submitting to them. What do you mean? Well, Ephesians chapter 5 doesn't say husbands submit to their wives, but it does say that husbands should love their wives like Christ loved the church. How much did Christ love the church? To death. Is that not the ultimate submission? The issue here is authority. God has given men the authority and the call to lead the church, just like he's called them to lead the home. And that happens primarily in pastoring and over the pulpit. God is a God of order. Second, see that not only is God a God of order, and we want to honor him by by submitting to that order, but we also want to honor God uh, by submitting to his word. I want to honor God by submitting to his word. So let's take this analogy earlier of this uh, woman, or, or the story earlier, excuse me, of this, uh, the woman that we met at this hotel, okay? And her idea of us raising three kids under four was just a picture of chaos. <laughs> it was a, a picture of, uh, of, of lack of order. It was a picture of, of just confusion. And it could be, if we were to parent our children based off worldly philosophy, it could be a house of disorder. Amen. 
But by God's grace in our home, we do the best we can, though we fail more than we would like to admit. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, yeah, you do, because I remember that one time. <laughs> we do our best to parent our children based off the word of God. And though there's not perfect order, there is a sense of order. And we are pursuing order. When we don't pursue order based off the word of God, there will be disorder, there will be chaos, there will be brokenness. And mostly all of us can stop and think of a time or two in our lives where we did not submit ourselves to God's word. And as a result, there was brokenness and chaos. And that's what the Apostle Paul is about to do here. In verse 36, look at this. Or was it from, in fact, let me go back up and deal with this in verse 34. Paul here points to the law. He says, as the law also says. So even then, he's pointing them back to the word of God. Now, nowhere in the word of God does, uh, in the law of God, does Old Testament law, uh, does the Old Testament writer say that women ought to be silent in gatherings. But more than likely, what he's doing is he's, pointing us back to, uh, to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 through 25, which is God establishing order in the family with the, the husband as the head of the family. So he points us to the word of God there. Then in verse 36 he says, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. But what, is, what is Paul doing here? Well, he wants to make sure that everyone in Corinth understands what apostolic authority is. He's saying, if prophecy is breaking out, at the end of the day, those who are apostles, those who have been set aside uh, for a, in a specific position as an apostle, we have the final word. Those are, uh, apostles, those are the, the, the ones who walked with Jesus or who had a special revelation of Jesus shortly after. He's saying we, we have the final word. So if someone shows up in the church and what they say is contradicting what we have taught, then there's a problem, because there's order. There's order. And what we're looking at in our Bibles is the, the words of the apostles in the New Testament, the testimonies of, of Jesus' disciples, those who were near to him in one way or another. So what we want to understand is that the word of God, the Bible that we have, it is God's final authority. So if someone is trying to speak into your life, but it doesn't make sense according to God's word, if it doesn't honor biblical principles, as I said before, we have to chuck it away and stand on God's word. You know, too many people who have been confused and led down a wrong road because of a so-called prophetic message. You know, I, I, could, I could tell some, some really deep stories of believers that I know who are still holding on to a prophetic word that was said 20 years ago, and their prophetic word has been edited and re-edited and re-edited to the point that they, their pursuit is no longer Jesus, 
It's hoping that this prophecy comes true. But Paul says, no, I'm establishing order through my writings because the Holy Spirit is inspiring me to write this. And as a church, we need to listen to these words and we need to apply them to our lives. And he goes so far to say, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. If someone goes against the grain of Scripture... What is clearly taught in the Bible, what the church has affirmed for over 2,000 years, and they say they have another revelation. Paul says, do away with them. Do not recognize them as a believer. So many cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonists, led astray by someone with a special revelation that went away from the written word of God and the patristic interpretation of of the church for for centuries with a a new word. I forget, I was talking to a preacher, and he told me he had a new revelation. I said, really? He says, yes. I said, all right, brother, tell me this revelation. He says, I have concluded that Jesus is uh, Michael, the angel, or Gabriel, the angel in the Old Testament. It was Michael. I said, huh? He says, yeah, so Jesus was Michael all alone, but then when he showed up in the New Testament, he's Jesus, and he had this whole theory. I said, brother, that's not a a new revelation. The church threw that out a long time ago. (laughs) I said, that's called false teaching. No, Jesus, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, is not a created being. He's not an angel. He is the Son of God. <laughs> he is eternal. <laughs> he has been in an eternal triune relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's not a created being. He said, well, man, I, I, he honestly said, brother, I, I, well, you just hate. When I write a book on this subject and it blows up, I said, brother, listen to me. That is false teaching. And if I'm at your church and I hear you say that, I am going to correct you. Amen. Verse 39. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently in order. Decently in order. So we see that God calls us to worship him while honoring his character and his word, while pursuing peace with each other and based off his word. Uh, I just want to give us real quick, as we uh, draw chapters 12 through 14 to a close, uh, I want to give us just a quick review of some of the things that we've learned as we continue to talk about orderly worship and spiritual gifts. Uh, One, we've learned that everyone has a spiritual gift. Every single Christian has a spiritual gift. If you're here today, you have a spiritual gift if you've given your life to Jesus. Two, we've learned that the spiritual gift was giving for the upbuilding of the church, not to draw attention to ourselves so that others would look at us and admire us, but to draw attention to Jesus. When the Holy Spirit moves, he points us to Christ. It's one of his roles. So if we're in a church service and we say the Holy Spirit moved and all we're doing is talking about how a person danced, 
I'm getting myself in a lot of trouble, ain't I? Amen. <laughs> yes, I want to Dave like, dance like David danced. But David danced the way he did because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Second, we must use our gifts in love. We must use our gifts in love. We can be the most spiritual person, make super sacrifices, Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. But if we don't have love, he says we are a, we're like clashing symbols. Third, God values clarity. He values clarity. When we gather together in the name of Jesus, we should be able to walk out of here knowing what was said. He values intelligible speech. He values a clear gospel message being preached. Then the barbershop recently talking to someone, and, and he was joking, talking about how many churches he went to, and at the end of service, he, uh, he, got, he got so uh, uh, discouraged. Sorry, this was a, a neighbor. He got so discouraged that he said now he just goes to churches and he just reads his Bible in the back of the church because he normally has no idea what is being said. He said, yeah, I, I hate most of the churches I've been to. They read a scripture and then they don't explain it. No, it is our job to read the word, explain the word, illustrate the word, and apply the word with clarity. But even more so in context, we want to remember what Paul said. He says, it is more advantageous for a person to speak five intelligible words than 10,000 words in a tongue. God values clarity. God values order. If we're going to use spiritual gifts, it needs to be used in order. And I want to encourage those who are like me, who grew up in a charismatic church, charismatic background, which I embrace in many ways and I love in many ways because that's who I am. As a result of, of some of the things that I've learned, uh, that's, who, that's how I'm made up. But I also want to be able to, to critique things, no matter what church it is, based off God's word. And speaking in tongues without an interpretation is condemned in Scripture. So if we're in a worship service and that is taking place, we ought to know in our heart that this is not right. Because God values order and clear speech. And to my non-charismatic friends, I want you to, to be encouraged to, to look at verse uh, number 39. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Uh, if the Lord has not given you the gift of, of prophecy, of being able to encourage someone uh, through the Spirit with impromptu, impromptu speech. If, if he hasn't given you that, that gift, but you know someone who does have that gift, don't, uh, just because you don't have a gift, don't shut off somebody else or condemn someone else who, who has that gift. And depending on where you are with uh, what the Bible interprets as, as speaking in tongues, if you believe and are open but cautious that God has uh, given the church the gift of tongues and it is active and working today, don't turn your nose up at someone who is practicing tongues in a biblical way. Know that God is not a God of confusion, that God is a God of peace. 
Also remember that God desires us to worship him in spirit and in truth. God wants us to worship him both with our head and our heart. And that it's okay to to express the way we feel uh, towards the Lord in outward ways. And my prayer for Forest Baptist Church, I've said this before, is that we will be Baptocostal. That we will be able to take the biblical and best of our Baptist tradition along with the biblical and best of our more charismatic brothers and sisters tradition in order to honor the Lord. And there's some areas I think that we, we, we just get wrong in terms of expression, maybe in worship to a degree. And there's some areas I believe, and it's okay for us to, to look at the Bible and say, what does it look like to engage God's heart through his word? God is not an author of confusion. He is a God of peace. He is a God of peace. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and there's confusion in your life, and you, uh, to really evaluate your life and to see if you're doing things based upon God's word. Or are you doing things based upon culture, based upon your past, or, or, or based upon what you simply just want to do? And that's in every sphere of life, not just when, when we come together in corporate worship. In every sphere of life, is there ongoing drama in your life? Is there ongoing issues in your life? Is there ongoing chaos in your life? And are you perpetually finding yourself in those situations? It may be because you are not submitting to the Lordship of Christ. Bruce Jenner was just on Diane uh, Sawyer. He's come out as being transgender. And he believes that by uh, altering his, uh, his, his sex or uh, his, his physical makeup, that he's going to find peace. And it's like some of us, we believe that if we just alter some things in our life, even though we know that God condemns it, that we're going to find peace. But peace will never be found by going away from God's word. Peace is only found in God. In fact, there's been a number of uh, articles written, both secular and Christian articles, showing statistics on transgender persons and how after getting a sex alteration surgery or change, uh, the majority of those who uh, get those uh, alterations uh, are as miserable as they were before or even worse off. A review of more than 100 international medical studies of post-operative transgenders conducted in the United Kingdom found in 2004, no robust scientific evidence that the gender reassignment surgery is clinical, clinically effective. And most major uh, medical centers that have done the research have all come to the same conclusion. Now, I'm not doing this to pick on transgender. I'm doing this to make a point. He's not going to find peace in going against what the Word of God says. He's going to find peace by surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus and walking with Christians. And even though his desires and his emotions may not change by learning to fight temptation and find joy in Christ. And it's the same with you. You are not going to find peace by altering a part of your life and saying, even though the word of God says I ought not to do it, I'm going to do it because it's going to make me happy or more fulfilled. God is not the author of confusion. He is the giver of peace. Come to Jesus. Whatever area of that life where there is disorder, and I guarantee you, if you keep your mind stayed on him, 
through the Holy Spirit. You'll find that peace, and when you lose that peace, you can repent and find that peace again. And I'm not talking to you as one who is perfect. I'm talking to you as one who knows the struggle and who has found a peace that is in spite of me. He is faithful. Even when we are faithless, he loves you and wants you to be in a relationship with him. Run to him. Give your life to him by seeing what Jesus did on the cross On the cross, Jesus died the death that you deserve because of your sin. God's wrath was to be poured out on you. But if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can be spared from his his wrath and you can experience his divine and eternal love. And Jesus did not just die on the cross for you, but the Bible says he was buried in a tomb. But on the third day, he got up from that tomb with all power in his hand. And it is that power which will keep you in times when this walk with Christ is most difficult. I praise God that Jesus is coming back and that one day we will be in glory with him around his throne saying, worthy is the lamb, and we will have orderly worship. And we will worship with the people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, and we will sing new songs unto the Lord. Come and be a part of this family. Experience this peace and know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and I thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Father God, that you uh, will continue, Father God, to give us peace and help us not uh, to be confused. Give us clarity, Lord. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Christ's name, amen. can stand to your feet at this time. We're going to continue together in worship. If you can lift up your voice and, and sing praises unto God. And as we sing, there may be someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus. We want to invite you to come and know Jesus. You can do that one or two ways. You can uh, simply just come down uh, to the front. Uh, we'll get your name, your number, talk to you and share Christ with you and answer any questions that you may have. Also in your bulletin, there's a small card. If you want a relationship with Jesus or want to talk to someone about it and you don't want to come forth, just uh, pray uh, that the Lord uh, would become your Savior in your seat. Check that box and uh, uh, hand it to us at the end of service uh, in the back, uh, in the vestibule area. There's a place where you can put that card, and we'll give you a call. In a couple weeks, we'll be baptizing someone last week who gave their life to Jesus by filling out a card and, and talking to someone. We would love to baptize you and, and, and welcome you into the family of God as the people of God. If you're here today and you just say, there's just so much confusion around me, I want to touch and agree and pray and have someone prophesy or speak into my life, now's the time to come down and, and our pastors and deacons would love to do so along with uh, some of our women from the church. If you're here today and you're not a part of a church, we want to uh, invite you to join Forest Baptist Church. I promise we're not a perfect church. But we are a purchased church. We realize that we have been bought by the blood of Jesus. 